Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger, and today with my co-host. Hey, guys. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. (laughs) And we are starting episode 37. So we just have been getting so many questions, and um, we... We wanted to make sure that we got them all answered, so we decided that we are going to do our second Q&A today. So we have yes. lots of good questions, and these are definitely um, competitor-driven. So as we get these questions from our athletes, um, the things that people have DM'd us or messaged us on um, at Pref Life Podcast on our Instagram, um, these are some things that we've just noticed that have come up that... They really didn't facilitate a whole episode, but we we thought that yeah. they could bring you some value. So the first question that we had um, was, okay, so we, we wanted, <laughs> I'm okay. trying to look at my list here. Okay, so the first one is, how do I make my shoulders bigger? So as many of you know, in bikini, um, that hourglass shape is achieved by very rounded out deltoids now they're not capped like a figure competitor but they are more Mm -hmm. rounded that definitely makes the waist appear much smaller and then also gives that illusion of the hourglass shape when you have some nice round glutes to go with it so we did a little digging on um some research backed evidence Um, And so we will put some of those in the show notes um, as far as where these studies came from. But we wanted to get uh, a good, solid answer. And so um, I would say, well, first of all, Chris, why don't you talk about the main thing that we really changed in our programming um, at Glam Girl Bikini to really develop the anterior deltoids. That's the front of the shoulder the part that faces yeah. the judges in the front stance. What's the main thing that we've really changed on the Glam Girls programming? The um, frequency of training shoulders is, I would say, the number one thing that we um, changed. We had some girls hitting like one time a week. We had some hitting two times a week based off of their like frame. Um, I I would say that like that is a body part that is always kind of behind I would say like nine times out of ten because a lot of women don't either one train their upper body or um, we don't do a lot of like overhead pressing or chest pressing or anything that is like going to activate that anterior delt a lot of women do uh, like a lot of leg training because leg training is fun so I think it was important that we kind of like up the ante with making sure that that body part was getting hit a little bit more frequently to um, just be able to have that muscle to get some growth in there. Um, And then I think that giving a little bit more variety into um, the exercises that we were using, I think will help with developing those uh, well-rounded shoulders. Because if you know, the shoulder, it doesn't have just one muscle. It's split up into three parts. So we have the interior, we have the mid-delt, and then we have the back of the shoulder and the post-delt. Um, and so, like, all three muscle groups really need to be hit. 
to be able to have like that well-rounded shoulder or that top of the hourglass. Um, and so making sure that we are doing varieties of like, not just overhead pressing, but we're doing like incline pressing. Um, I know that I've been able to utilize that with a couple athletes who have injuries, whether it's a shoulder industry, industry, <laughs> industry, <laughs> injury, um, or a spinal injury, um, that incline pressing a lot of times will just alleviate that impingement that happens at the top of the shoulder joint. Um, and still allow them to really push through with their, um, like interior dowel and really maximize, uh, that range of motion for their, for their interior dowel. So, so, um, looking at yeah, it from a ahead. technical standpoint, so like the data, um, on a 0% incline, um, on an EMG, it's the lower end of the activity. And then as you increase to like 28% incline, uh, it increases a little bit more, and then 44%, a little bit more, and then 56% on the incline actually is optimal. Um, so, yeah. and then another thing that um, we feel like really makes a big difference is training primarily in those overhead presses with dumbbells versus barbell. Yeah. And what would you say that, what was the reason why we've gravitated towards an inclined shoulder press, obviously that's to build, um, it's more efficient at building the front of the deltoid than a front raise, but, yeah. um, why the barbell versus dumbbell? Um, well, I know for like, for me, the range of motion is a different, um, I feel like my, my shoulder, I have one shoulder that's elevated higher than the other based on like my spinal curvature. So, and I know a lot of people have like that unevenness as well. So the dumbbells kind of allow me to get full range of motion for both dumbbells. Um, yeah. If you have but, any kind of like rotator issue or yeah, um, like me, I have a softball injury um, with my uh, labrum and it really, it locks that into place and um, it doesn't allow the joint to uh, it really causes a lot of pain. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah. So that's kind of why we've gravitated that direction as well. Yeah. Your hand placement does make a big difference. Like the rotation of your hand makes a big difference on um, what's getting activated within your shoulder. And, and it works around injuries a lot too. So, yeah. So hopefully that helps. Um, those of you out there that are looking to get the, the boulder shoulder hourglass shape. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's helpful, especially if a waistline is more difficult to get small. You can make that illusion of the eye and build up those shoulders and get um, some improvement there with that overall look. So yeah. um, our next question was regarding macro banking. So if somebody, the question was kind of phrased that they had a big meal out and uh, maybe it wasn't time for their refeed but they knew that they wanted to kind of save their macros for that dinner. Um, and then what what I call macro banking is just basically like eating lighter throughout the day um, and then kind of hoarding those <laughs> calories for the end of the day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my personal experience with this, and that's really all I can speak on. Um, so to answer this person's question, for me, that's never worked. Um, I find that I get ravenously hungry and I get hangry too because um, <laughs> I, and then I tend to overeat. Um, so I get so overly hungry that 
um, I end up blowing my macro budget regardless of whether or not I mm. banked it. Um, any thoughts on that question? Um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of the individual. You have to be careful. Um, I know that my appetite is a little bit like stronger later in the day. Um, but I still do not like save all my macros and all my meals in the day. Cause I probably would do the same thing whenever I enter a meal and I'm like ravenously hungry. I know that's a bad sign. Like that's the number one red flag. Like, okay, I got to pay attention to what's happening here. So when you say that you're, you're dispersing the majority of your calories at the end of the day, because that's when you're more hungry, but you're still kind of keeping your meals, meal timing frequent throughout. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah. I guess I'm mm-hmm. the opposite. I mean, I pretty much put like the majority of my calories in the morning because that's when I'm most hungry and that's when I'm doing most of my activity um, for recovery. Oh, so just, yeah. yeah. And we're yin and yang. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> so I guess to answer that person's question, if you're, if you're more similar to Chris where you would prefer your calories to be at the end of the day, just be sure that, you know, you're, you're spacing out, um, like at least your protein and some fiber and things so that you're kind of keeping your meals semi-regular so you're not so, so hungry when you get to the end. Absolutely. So I recommend like starving yourself and then saving all your macros for one meal. Oh no, don't that, do that. That yeah. might not be good. Um, okay. So the next question that we had was, um, food pushers and, um, basically, we had several um, competitors that, you know, post-show this last week. They had questions regarding, you know, how how to kindly deal with the pressures of, like, oh, you're done with your show. And I think a lot of times people just don't understand. They're like, oh, now you can eat. Like, like you weren't eating six times a day before. and um, Yeah. But they, they want to, like, take you out and, like, go places and – um, and it, it's hard because your metabolism a is very fragile. Um, and then just your hunger hormones. Um, so that becomes a slippery slope. What are some strategies that you utilize, Chris? Um, if you have a, like a food pusher in your life, what are some good things, some good tips? Yeah. So I think the number one culprit that a lot of people don't think about is, um, a lot of times those people who are trying to feed you all the time are reacting to maybe how you were portraying or exuding your prep. Um, And so like, if you are within like your prep and you're constantly like complaining or you're really hangry or upset or, you know, your loved ones are watching you and they're seeing you suffer um, and you're like voicing like, Oh, I can't wait to go here and eat this. or I can't wait till you make this for me, or I can have that. Um, they, mm, they respond point. to that. Yeah. So that when this moment is up, they're like, Oh my gosh, like she made it. And they want the number one, they want to celebrate and reward you for getting through it. And two, they're responding to all those messages that you were giving them within your prep and they couldn't do anything about. And if you were in a prep, sometimes it's a long time. Um, and so it's just coming from a place of love that they care about you. So I think that's the number one thing. It's kind of like watch what messages you're sending. Um, but sometimes that doesn't matter and people still want to like express their appreciation of you or whatever through food. Um, I 
find it helpful that sometimes it's just helpful just to explain. If you just let them know, like, hey, right now after my show, my body is really sensitive and I'm feeling my best. Um, and sometimes that's enough. Um, but if it's not and people still want to give you a hard time, I always say if they're giving you a food, you can always accept it, if, especially if it's like a homemade food, but throw it in the freezer and then you can eat it when you're ready or um, pick at it when you want. And if they want to take you out to dinner, sometimes it helps to pick the place so that you can kind of know what you're in for, know what the menu looks like and kind of decide ahead of time so you're, you're not like subject to maybe that peer pressure of like oh you love having pizza let's order like 10 pizzas um so I would say those are some strategies that have helped me how about you Amy yeah I mean just to reiterate I I think that you make such a good point about how if you don't make a big deal about things like people don't even notice so um you know if you were throughout your prep refeeding frequently and making your family and your friends a priority and working in those birthdays and things like for, you know, your refeed days and like using those, you know, more flexible meals, um, to make it work or sitting down at the restaurant with them, but just making like a choice that fits within your macros and not making like, Oh my gosh, I like, I can't eat this and I can't go out. Like I'm going to be a hermit for my whole I mean, that's when I think we get into trouble because it becomes that black and white situation. Like, it's either all or nothing. Like, I'm just not going to go out this entire prep. And, I mean, if you are totally relaxed about it, most of the time (laughs) my family never knows, like, if I'm in prep or I'm out of prep. Like, I'll just bring my (laughs) purse, like, my chicken, just throw it on a salad. Like, I go to the restaurant. I don't care. I Like, I'm not – and if it happens to be a refeed – day and it works out like with my my schedule then you know I mean there's so many options that you can go to a restaurant and you're going to be able to pick something that fits like in your macros I mean most places have like a burger that you know you could get without a bun or like a steak um yeah you could get like a grilled chicken breast I mean I frequently will take my kids to Chipotle um and I'll just get like a salad bowl and some salsa and like throw my protein on it and they'll eat. But I mean, I think the biggest thing is like how the framework. And so when I was first starting out, I mean, I know I was totally guilty of it. And I'm sure that that's now that you you bring that up. I'm sure that's why my family was like, oh, now that you can eat, like, let's go here. And right. Let's go there. Because like, yeah, I acted like I was like dying. Um, yeah, <laughs> sometimes your <laughs> whole too. world is like crashing down <laughs> that first prep. And it's just like a, a matter of just like over time, I think, um, yeah. as long as, you know, like things aren't like so restrictive in your prep and you're really allowing to work things in throughout, then I think it becomes like that much more easier over time, I guess. Um, yeah. It's almost like if you have a healthy relationship with it, it allows your loved ones to have the same perception like and relationship yeah exactly um and then the same thing at work I mean I always hear about um Alberto Nunez from 3D MJ he always talks about how he likes to try to like do this stealth prep and how he until he gets like super diet face like people don't even know at work because he just like eats healthy all the time and it's not a big deal at work like they're you know they see him eating all the time and 
um, if you kind of adopt that mentality that like you're choosing these foods because they make you feel good and they fuel your training and <laughs> because, you know, you have aspirations of whatever your goals are, um, then yeah, I mean, I think so much of it starts with the mind and how we perceive it Agreed. is like how other people pick up on those vibrations for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so too. Good thoughts there. And I even know that you can have positive influence on, like I've had some competitors be like, you know, I was getting some resistance from people about like wanting to continue to like eat healthy after my show or make these decisions. But then like, they've also expressed that they have had people come back and say like, you know, you're a really positive influence. And like, I started to eat healthy or I started taking this class at the gym or so you don't really know what other people are going through, but I always tell them it's your body and your choice and your decisions and you don't need to like accommodate anybody. Like if it's about the relationship and you guys spending time together, then it shouldn't necessarily be all focused around the food. So you're right. It totally, it's about the mindset. And I mean, you can go to restaurants and enjoy people's company and not eat. I mean, that's what both of us did at the team show and it was great. I mean, I loved celebrating everybody's wins, but I just didn't need oh, at midnight. Fun. I didn't need Mexican, you know. I yeah. I need my food for the day. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But as far as the next question, let's move on to um, doing multiple shows. So, yeah. do you want to take that one? It's um, basically, you know, if we want to do more than one show in a year, what's your strategy or what do you recommend to competitors that are wanting to do more than one to get the most out of their NPC calendar year card <laughs> because it's yes. only good from January to December. So, yeah, I definitely think, um, set it up so that you are, uh, you are approaching your competition like timeline. So you're, um, working with a coach to get to the like physique that you want to bring on stage and then if you want to do multiple shows like some girls I know want to do like a team show but they want to do a local show I try and make them their their competition um, set point dates close together so I don't necessarily want to put someone like one weekend on stage and then have them go right into peak week again and then get on stage the next weekend um but I do want to keep them within like a four week, I would say, um, window so that they're staying conditioned and it's just a matter of like a short term maintenance for them. And they can kind of um, like have those weeks, uh, like a week or two where they're able to um, like follow their meal plan, get back in the gym, get back into a routine. And then they're getting a, and then they're entering into a peak week again and stepping on stage. Um, it definitely needs to be strategized with like, their meals and celebration meals and all kinds of stuff. But um, I generally try to keep them close together. I think it's way more stressful to have a show one month and then wait like three or four months and then try and get on stage again. Like there's so much like unnecessary. If you're already conditioned and you're coming in for that show, like super on point, you should be able to within a few weeks um, hit the next one. That's my strategy. What yeah, say, Amy? I think it's totally context dependent because I've had several competitors that do like the April team show and then they reverse out through the summer just um, and then they reverse back down to do the November show and that's worked out really well. But that's like a much no. bigger time gap. So I can like put food back into them slowly 
and then we're starting at usually a higher caloric threshold for the next cut in the fall. That's worked really nicely. Um, if people just, you know, kind of want to have something in sight, but you know, maybe they're like their summer is really busy or something. And so they don't, you know, whatever That's the case smart. may be, yeah. I've done that. Um, and then definitely again, I would say context dependent. So that's why it's important to get the consultation from your coach. Um, because when we're talking national show versus regional show, so I have a lot of competitors that competed here in April and then they're taking the 12 weeks to reverse and then lean down for the national show because with national shows versus regional, um, which is similar to what I did with you as well. Um, yeah, we did the April show and then you got ready for NPC universe um, but yeah, I think f the difference between like the conditioning level of a regional show and then moving into nationals, sometimes it can take that long, you know, like eight That's to 12 true. weeks to really make the changes from that regional competition to the national stage. Um, and That's again, well it's said, about yeah. like putting in more calories. So, I mean, in your case, like each time we did a reverse out of a show, it was like you're able to do less cardio and you got more calories because you know, we really pumped it up and the metabolism usually responds well, but again, very context dependent. Um, right. but yeah, if you're like just looking to do like a couple regional shows and it's not like something that you have like a big, maybe it's just like a bucket list item or, you know, if you yeah. don't have like that big scaffolding of like long-term goals, then again, like it can, it can look different for everybody, but just my two cents. Um, no, that's good. That makes sense. Okay. So since we're talking about MPC universe, um, I had, I listened to a podcast and it was a Canadian, um, competitor and she was getting ready for MPC universe and it was going to be her first national competition. She was like, so ready to go. And then she found out that it was not open to non-U.S. residents um, or citizens. Mm. Um, so she, that was like a huge bummer for her. Um, and I have a similar competitor that um, is in that same situation. And I found that it was really super interesting. Um, so I learned something new this year um, based on the fact that if you are just a resident and you're not a U.S. citizen, the only shows on U.S. soil that you are able to earn a pro card at are actually North Americans, where Chris earned her pro card. And um, <laughs> the other two are the um, Arnold International, which I just competed in February. And um, the other one is the Amateur Olympia. And so really the only one that you can – actually just win first place in your class that's open to non-U.S. citizens as North Americans. So um, all of the other competitions, they are, they are for U.S. resident or U.S. citizens only. So I just found that to be interesting. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, I know it's not really a question, but um, I guess I did have that question from this competitor <laughs> that wants to do a national show, and we got to talking about that. So I thought it was, it was relevant to bring on this podcast. Um, that's a fun fact. Yeah. yeah, just a fun fact. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so as far as the next question, um, are there any good books that you have read recently or that you're in the middle of, Chris? 
Um, yes. So thank you for your recommendation, Amy. I'm actually listening to the audiobook Getting Back to Happy. I don't remember what the authors are, though. Do you remember? Uh, I know they're a married couple. I, yeah, I don't it's a really good we book. We can put it in the show notes, though. <laughs> oh, the good good point. Yes. So I loved this book. And um, I don't know. There was just like one thing I was listening to the other day that really hit home that I wanted to share with our listeners. Um, because I know a lot of people in general, um, and especially like our population, if you are taking on a show and you're working within a prep, like your schedule is probably super crazy because you're juggling a lot. Um, because it is a time investment and they were talking about in this book that, you know, when you ask people how they are doing or, or if someone's asking you how you are and you're answering busy, like I'm busy or how was your day busy? And that is totally me. 100%. I like, that is my like, go-to answer for everything. Um, and the author was talking about how he was using that as, almost like self-validation of like, okay, he was working really hard. He was doing a lot of things. And so by answering that he was busy, he was almost validating to himself that he was doing everything he needed to do and getting it all done. And I just really related to that a lot of like, that is why I answer that because I feel like if I, if I don't say that, that I'm not working hard enough or I'm not getting enough done or like I almost need quote unquote, to be busy, to, um, be like doing my best. Um, and so I thought that that was like a really valid point and, um, just kind of like, he was also talking about like scheduling your day, um, with giving yourself a little bit of breathing room. And I know that like, I have been guilty of in the past, like getting on a Google calendar and like blocking out every single hour of every single day, like seven to eight, wake up, rush, like, and then plugging in my commute time, like driving to gym, like, okay, 15 minutes. And like, I would literally fill up the entire schedule, like, because I didn't want to waste a single second. And I felt like if I did, um, then I was, like not being productive and it's just not true like and then I have a heart attack if there was an accident and I was delayed on my google calendar block schedule (laughs) so um I think it's just more about like living in the moment and making sure that like even though you are you know being productive and you're getting things done like pay attention like I am like really enjoying recording this podcast right now and sharing some value with people and like there are good things in everything. And so I think it it was just really good about being present, giving yourself some buffer time. If things don't work in your schedule, like be realistic. Um, Instead of having a list of things to do, like one through 15 and saying, okay, I have four hours of time. Like, cause I would work that way. I'd be like, okay, I have four hours. Like how much can I get done? Looking at it before you get started and saying, okay, realistically within the four hours, number one, what are the priorities? And what can I realistically get done in that amount of time? And I have since like been practicing that and have felt way more accomplished and, um, and not feeling like I'm, I'm stressed and wasting my time. So those are just some like couple of random tips, but yeah, getting back to happy. I listen on, listen to it on audiobook while I go for my, my walks out in the sunshine and it's been really helpful. Yeah. I've, I've actually listened to it twice. And so <laughs> my new book that yeah. I'm on is, um, how champions think 
and I have absolutely loved it. And just um, kind of echoing what you were saying with the um, kind of thinking about in this book, um, they he talks about how, first of all, you have to be realistic if you are going to be a champion as far as like what your genetic limitations are and like what are the things mm. that you control as part of your whatever you're being, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, what are the things that you can control that you can actually spend time on improving? Um, and then he, he talked about um, champions really, uh, when they make a commitment, they really take themselves very seriously. So um, basically that commitment, um, you know, it's not like the average person. Um, you know, the average person in January, they make these New Year's resolutions and then they, they quit them by April. Champions, they take pride in doing things that average people won't do. And I think that that's very relevant Yeah. in the competition realm. Um, they just really value persistence. And so a lot of this book was just about visualizing um, like your potential of being great and like really... Um, you know, not making too high of a lid on your dreams and what you would like to accomplish, um, knowing that you're going to make mistakes along the way, but that you don't dwell on them. You reflect um, or you evaluate them and you come up with a process to commit to, to, you know, control the controllables, the things that you can do to make you to that higher place. And then um, another thing I really liked about him, and I know I've mentioned this in the podcast, but just really surrounding yourself um, with the right kind of people that are going to support you, they're going to encourage you, um, but they're also going to not just tell you what you need to hear, they're going to push you um, and so that you can understand like what that you can't be successful alone and that you need good people around yeah. you but that you need to select carefully and um, and make sure that, you know, like the people that you're, you're selecting as your mentor or your coach or whatever it is, like they need to be able to help you bring t you to that higher place and they need to have, you know, accomplished something that, um, that you're looking for and you're striving for. So I just, I felt like there were so many takeaways on how champions think. Um, it's definitely... It's very golf-centered, um, but, I mean, I think golf <laughs> is a very mental game. So he's a sports psychologist, and um, but I think you can just relay it. It's how champions think in sports and in life. So, I mean, they talk about all different kinds of sports, obviously. Like, bodybuilding <laughs> isn't on the top of the list <laughs> uh, because you don't make very much money doing it. But, um, but yeah, like, the, the big number ones, like baseball and basketball, they just kind of give, like, some examples and – I mean, you can kind of like stretch, stretch it into like how it would relate into definitely like he relates it to like work life and um, family life and success there and uh, being a champion in those aspects. But then also um, I found that I could I could really apply a lot of the things to, you know, the prep life. So that's definitely that's a good awesome. one to read. But um, we are out of time for our Q&A. So um I, I'm just looking. We forgot to talk about the. Uh, we had some supplement questions. Um, we had, oh. yeah, we had some other things. So, um, for another time. Um, yes. But 
we'll eventually get there. <laughs> so um, yeah, this is Amy Anger, founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini. And if you would like to be notified of future episodes, please don't hesitate to hit that subscribe button and keep in mind that this is an unfunded podcast. So we always appreciate that five star rating and review that you would like to leave. Um, we just really appreciate um, any kind of sharing that you can do because that's going to help other people find this podcast. So if you know somebody that is going through similar things and that could relate, please share it with them. And um, this concludes our Q&A episode 37 with my fabulous co-host. And this is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.